So I spent three months this summer in Rwanda, and by far, this is the most developed country in Africa that I've been to. Uh, and so the the nickname is Africa for Beginners um, for that reason, because it, it is very much so. Uh, it's more similar. You'd be surprised. It's more similar to, to the West than you would think. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mika Karshovsky, and welcome to another episode of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from remote work experts, digital nomads, and location-independent entrepreneurs so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to be joined by Wei Barkin, the founder and investor focused on developing the future of work in Africa. Wei Yi has been living in Africa for several years and in that time has used his startup experience in the U.S. to start multiple businesses in Africa from a strawberry farm to a transportation business, all while helping to popularize the African continent as a source of remote work talent and as a destination for digital nomads. And during this episode, Wei Yi shared how he transitioned from working with startups in the U.S. to investing in founding African businesses how to get started micro-investing, the best African countries and cities for digital nomads, and why Africa will be the next big source of tech talent. But before we jump into this interview, make sure you subscribe to my newsletter, Remote Insider, where every Monday morning I share the most important developments in the areas of remote work, online business, tech, and the digital nomad lifestyle. It has been called mandatory reading by other subscribers, and if you enjoy this podcast, I guarantee you'll also love being a remote insider insider subscriber. You can subscribe to that at thatremotelife.com forward slash remote insider. That's remote insider, all one word. Finally, if you haven't left a review of the show already, please consider leaving one wherever you listen to podcasts. I would greatly appreciate that. You can also leave a review by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL. Again, that's ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL. Going to the link will take you just two minutes to leave a review and it would really help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you ahead of time if you decide to do that. But all right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Wei Barkin. All right, Wei, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm excited to have you here. Doing good. Excited to be here. So uh, we were just talking, uh, I mean, just up until now, and then we said, like, maybe we should just hit record uh, because you have a very unique name. Uh, my name is not as unique, but I totally understand your struggle of like, hey, here's how people pronounce the names. So what I was going to ask you is this, because uh, you were saying that, you know, at first you were kind of trying to like Americanize it or make something like an easier name for people to to, to sort of use. So I'm curious. Yeah. What was your like American, quote unquote, American name? Like, what were you using to make it easier for people? <laughs> uh, that's a good one. So actually, it was when I went to university, um, I, instead of going by Wei, I started to go by West. So like Kanye, mm. just W-E-S-T. Um, okay. I kept the W and the E and, and dropped the rest of the name. So, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it was gotcha. it worked pretty well. But I think post-grad, like, uh, I started to get more in touch with like where I'm from and my family and, uh, and, and started going by way again. Yeah. Because like, and I, like my name's Mitko. And when I moved to the United States, there was like a little bit of like discussion. Like, are you sure that you don't want to like go by like Michael or something like that? And I was <laughs> like, a, I don't think Mitko is that hard. Like you can figure it out. And then also B, I was like, no, like that's me. And like, you know, that's, I'm not changing like my name. So, so I totally understand that. And then, yeah. and we're going to talk about remote work and everything like that. And I'll give you a proper introduction. But the other question that I had as a follow-up is mm -hmm. what is like the most butchered version of your name that you've heard? Uh, man, I've heard, I've heard a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I can't, I can't necessarily think of the most butchered, but I can tell you the one that I, I hate the most is, uh, okay. Weehee. Because <laughs> I've, I've had some people, yeah, I've, I've had some people kind of like make it into a joke, like we he, like you know what I mean, uh, <laughs> and I don't know, I just that just gets under my skin, so I, I hate that one the most. But um, I've heard I've heard it all for sure. 
But recently here, you'd be surprised how many people actually get it right. Uh, that are that are like Americans or because you're in Senegal right now, correct? So is mm-hmm. it like yeah. something where when you go back, it's like way easier for because obviously like your name like has origins there, right? So like it's like a much easier. It's not as difficult for people, correct? Yeah, origins to the region. So my family is from from Liberia, um, which is a few a few countries south from here. But uh, no, regionally speaking, no, it's it's actually about the same. You'd be surprised, like there's not so much distinction between like people in this part of the world saying my name correctly versus the u.s but i don't know maybe just uh people are practicing or (laughs) unique names are becoming more widespread uh i think in general people are getting more accustomed to to pronouncing different sounds so uh yeah it's just kind of a mixed bag depends on the person but more and more i'm finding that people are getting it closer to what it actually is Gotcha. I had a, yeah. you know, like in the U.S., my name is like really unique. But when I, uh, I, I went back to Bulgaria and I brought a friend along when I was like a senior in high school. And when, when we were there, he was like about like two or three days in. Mitko is actually like a very common Bulgarian name. And so okay. we like two or three days in into him being in Bulgaria, he looks at me and goes, man, I used to think you had such a cool name. And then like <laughs> now that I'm here, I'm like, this, this is not cool at all. You're just like, you know, like a normal, like an average Joe. So <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Cool. I was going to say like John or Michael or something like that. That's crazy. Like I've only ever met one other person with my name, even even in this part of the world. So uh, oh, I, I might be different in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Well, so let's. Let's kind of give you a little bit, like, let's set the scene a little bit. So you and I connected over LinkedIn, and I just love your posts on LinkedIn because I think you're doing really interesting things in, in Senegal. And some. I know that you are also doing business uh, in some other African countries as well with sort of this overarching view of the future of work and remote work and all that kind of stuff. So I'm very excited to have you on here and kind of discuss that because you know, I've recently started looking more into uh, Africa as like a continent and learning more about it because to be completely transparent, I've been very, um, like I just, I know there's like so much that I don't know and I'm trying to learn more about like the opportunities and what's going on over there. Um, So I'm very excited to have you on here. You have such a in-depth amount of knowledge on that sort of scene. So I'm very excited to have you here. I want to start out with, you know, asking you a little bit about your background because i know that you worked with startups in the united states and then uh you know you were kind of like working in startups then you started consulting for for startups in the u.s and decided to to move to to senegal so can you kind of give me i know this is a very broad question but can you sort of like set the stage of like what got you interested in startups in the first place and then why did you decide to to you know move away from the u.s and and go to senegal yeah, that that's a big one. Um, so, but but happy to to kind of walk you through the journey there. Um, we, we can dive in there and kind of like splice it up as 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 we go. But I thought you know like let's kind of okay. set the stage there. Yeah, totally. No, I, I can give like an overview and then we we can dig into what we want to dig into. Um, so just uh, I mean background like I mentioned starting from the very beginning, my parents are both uh, Liberian, so they immigrated to the United States um, in the eighties. My brother and I were born in New York City, so born and raised uh, first-generation Americans. Um, and so that, that in itself was a different upbringing and kind of mindset. I think you're probably familiar with um, uh, this kind of this idea of uh, that a lot of immigrants bring with them when they come to the country, that it's a unique opportunity. And so they really instilled in, in uh, my mom, especially instilled in my brother and I, like hard work and this idea of... Um, yeah, making sure that you appreciate and are grateful for the opportunity you're given, but also doing the most with that opportunity. And so that was kind of like my psychology growing up. And uh, as I finished school, I studied in school political science and philosophy. Um, and that did a lot for me in, in helping to open my eyes to like different ways of thinking and approaching problems. Now, my original plan was to go to law school um, right out of school. Uh, but I actually ended up joining Teach for America. So uh, for anyone listening who's not familiar with TFA, it's basically a two-year program where you commit to teaching in underserved communities. And they accept uh, people from all different disciplines and backgrounds. So, you know, there's ex-bankers, um, doctors, recent graduates, 
uh, it's a really like diverse approach to education. Um, the idea being that high performers will be able to come in and have a more substantial impact than someone who is from a, a more traditional education background. And so I had no teaching experience and literally I was thrown to the wolves <laughs> quite literally uh, if I was teaching high school. So, you know, that, that could be like a rough age, 14 to 18. Um, high school honors English in, in rural Eastern North Carolina. So that was my first experience. Uh, to this date, it's still the most rewarding thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, I say that openly and all the time, but I knew that my impact would only ever be so great if I remained in education. And so um, once I kind of finished the program, I was left at a crossroads where either I could continue teaching or uh, go into something else. And over that summer, I read a book called uh, Smart People Should Build Things by Andrew Yang. Um, and it's, I think Elon Musk recently said something along these lines as well, is that like our best talent a lot of times goes into finance and banking, law or medicine. When in reality, we need them to be going into more entrepreneurial fields um, where they can build and create for society because that's where their talents will be most useful and valued the most. Um, and so like that message really resonated with me and it, it led me into startup world. And so I joined a really early stage company um, called Zealme. This literally was uh, this 20 year old founder who dropped out of school to start the company and uh, an iOS developer from, from India. And we were in the founder's basement trying to build um, a platform that helped connect people um, to learn specific things online. So this was like, 2015. Um, and so this was really early before COVID and all that where remote was more common. And so we were trying to connect people in an online format. Um, the long story short there is that that, that completely flopped. <laughs> uh, you know, we learned <laughs> as, a lot. As though. First, first startup attempts normally do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, we, we just didn't have the experience uh, professionally. Um, you know, a lot of us, yeah. uh, between the, the three of us, we just hadn't really worked um, and didn't know what it meant. Did to, you get to really... funding? Uh, we did. We, we raised some like pre-seed money um, just from like angel investors and kind of family and friends around. So that was interesting. Um, but it, it wasn't enough to like sustain us over like, like I was there a year and, and we ran out of cash. And so that's, uh, that's kind of was the end of that. Um, I think it's really interesting with like the seed startup kind of like stages i think the way to do it and it's very risky but it's the way to give an amount of money where you can have like a year or two to kind of figure things out and pivot right because like usually the idea that you start is not the best idea but then you through that process you refine and you're like oh actually there's this one like side niche area and you kind of takes time for you to like develop and figure it out but it's very risky obviously no, totally. I mean, uh, I think at that stage, you, you really just need space to breathe and, and to, like you said, experiment and try things out. And so I think that's why pre-seed and family and friends around is specifically smaller because you just need proof of concept, right? We're not talking product market fit. You just need enough to to say like, hey, the, the, there's something here. We're validating the idea and, and we can run with it. So, uh, yeah. We didn't have that. <laughs> so, did you, so uh, at that point after, I think you worked with some like other startups after that as well, right? Like you were a part of some other startups afterwards, but did you take the consulting route from there with the idea of, hey, I want to step aside and, and like, like move to, you kind of like explore Africa or did you sort of like... Like, I'm kind of curious about which came first. Did you start like consulting and then you're like, oh, now I have this freedom to go? Or did you go and start consulting because you needed that that freedom of work, if that makes sense? No, great question. Um, no, I totally went first. Uh, so with no plan, uh, you're right. I, I worked for mainly for one other startup after that. Um, and they were already further along. Um, they had about a million dollars in, in funding when I joined and it was a great experience. They moved me from New York to California, but two and a half years into it, um, almost three years felt completely burnt out. And I quit my job, bought a one-way ticket to North Africa, Morocco, 
and I took off. <laughs> so, you know, I didn't have a plan. I had maybe about like $10,000 and I just traveled uh, for the rest of the year. And as I was traveling, that's when I realized like, hey, actually I have this background and skill set and experience that is could be really valuable to people um, and companies and teams out there. And it's something I could do remotely. And so that's what really started me in uh, doing consulting and trying to help people to yeah, to grow their business from a from an early stage perspective. So yeah, it was that's the way that it, it kind of happened. So I want to double click on on this very quickly because you did it the exact way that I would recommend people not to do it, right? Which is like, okay. hey, <laughs> I have a couple grand in savings. I'm gonna hit the road and like figure it out as we go. Which to me is like, I've I I'm very happy that it worked out for you, and I know other people that it's worked out for. But I think 90% of people it doesn't end up going well, right? Because it's like, okay, I'm in the move. I don't really have a routine. I haven't figured out how to be productive. And on top of that, I need to have to now figure out like how to make money. So there, I want to double click on this and just kind of like, can you give us the best practices or what were the things that you did that you feel like helped you get those clients for people who might be in the same position? Like they're burnt out. They're like, listen, I understand that it's smarter for me to stick out in this job for another year and start building a side hustle to leave in a year, but I'm I need to go and I need to figure out why I'm on the move. Like, what would be your best recommendations for people to kind of like kickstart that consulting, freelancing, whatever it may be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the biggest thing is like you if if you're coming out of a place of like need where it's like, hey, I have like no cash, I like I need to have clients. That that's like dangerous murky waters there because it you're not gonna be able to enjoy the journey like when i left like the ten thousand dollars was more than enough to sustain me um especially since i was doing programs like work away where you have uh like uh um food and your living arrangements taken care of so i didn't really have the ten thousand was more than enough and so it gave me a space where i could like really explore and take my time and like come to the conclusion that like hey this is something that um would be fulfilling and that I could totally do while remote. If you're leaving and you don't have that much saved up and it's kind of like, I just need to get out of here. Uh, again, it's you're just not gonna enjoy it and you, you may end up taking on clients that you normally wouldn't work with or working for less, kind of selling yourself short. So I think a best practice is make sure that you are in, in a stable position financially. Um, otherwise it just, it takes away from, from the journey and the growth that you otherwise would experience. So uh, my first client actually was, was through a friend um, so he was working with this logistics company in California and he connected me. And from there I was able to like start doing some sales consulting to help them grow the, the, the partnerships that they had. And from there, it, it really like opened my eyes. It's just coincidence. You know, I don't have any like best practices. This is how you get clients. But from there, it really opened my eyes to like, oh, okay, like this is, there's huge potential here and, and something I could totally do over the long term. So what forced you to, or what made you kind of like decide to, to stay in uh, Africa, like more long-term instead of just kind of like traveling around? Like what made you kind of say like, Hey, I think I want to set up shop somewhere on the continent and kind of like spend more time here as opposed to just traveling around. Yeah. Let, so, I mean, again, like I'm from here. Um, you know, I was born in, in, in New York, but like my people are from here, my family, um, forever um and so like i always felt a connection to this part of the world and i always knew that one day i would come here um definitely to visit but potentially to live and so my original plan was to do morocco backpack overland to nigeria and i was going to start some sort of company and that's that was my whole plan kind of like a back of the napkin type uh play that i was going to run once i got here uh but once i got here I ended up going through Europe. Um, you know, I was in Spain, Italy, France. I went to the Netherlands. Uh, then I flew out to Turkey and spent some time with a friend that I met in Spain and came back to Morocco. But through all that, when I got to Senegal, this was the place that I ended up spending the most time because I was tired of doing so much bouncing around. And it was the first place where I started to learn another language. So I started learning French. Um, I was more living than backpacking and traveling. I think that's that's like, we have to make that distinction, right? Because 
there's the nomad life where you're kind of really nomadic and, and bouncing around. And there's a more stable nomadic life where you kind of settle in a place and you take trips from a home base. So the two different ways of living and traveling. And uh, I found that when I did that in Senegal, um, there was a lot of, a lot about the country that resonated with me. And I also started to build relationships with people um, in the community, learning the language. And ultimately at the end, I started investing my own money on a micro level. And so that was the perfect storm to say like, hey, this uh, is making a lot of sense uh, as, a, as a place to set up a second base outside of the U.S. So why Senegal? Can you give like a quick elevator pitch in startup terms of why you decided Senegal and why someone else should perhaps also look at visiting Senegal? Yeah. Um, so it, it, it really depends on what, what business you're in, right? So I think for me, there, there was two sides. It's like a two-headed monster. I want to do something here on the ground in, in Africa in a low-cost market where I can also continue to run an online business, making dollars, euros, pounds, but then spend in here, which is a CFA. So right now, I think the exchange rate is like $1 equals 630 uh, West African CFA, which is the, the, the currency here. And so you just have that much more buying power. The cost of living is way lower. Um, but at the same time, there's Western standard restaurants and Wi-Fi and there's an international community. And so that was like the perfect mix for me to be able to uh, do business here on the ground, but then also maintain an online presence in, a, in an online business. And what is the, because, uh, you know, it's, I think with like exchange rates, you know, you can kind of say like, oh, wow, that's like a really great exchange rate. But then actually you go to buy a loaf of bread and it's like 300 <laughs> CFR, right? So like what is yeah. like the actual on the ground sort of like cost of living? Like how how much power do you feel like your dollar has, if that makes sense? Yeah, very strong. Very, very strong. Buying power, like you have a lot of buying power uh, with dollars, euros and pounds. Um, I would say like, for example, uh, I just moved. I downsized, but I had a, I had a two bedroom, two ba bathroom, two balcony, um, about ten minutes from the beach, next to the largest monument on the African continent, and I was paying about four hundred and fifty dollars a month, and so uh, that's pretty sweet. I mean, I couldn't do that in uh, in the U.S. Uh, living in D.C., which is you know our capital in the U.S., um, and living here in Dakar. It's just like completely different. That would be at least like three, four thousand dollars a month. And so, uh, your money really goes further as far as food goes. Um, really cheap, especially if you're going to the market or grocery stores, and and cooking for yourself. The thing is that there's people here who are living and fully sustainable on two hundred dollars a month. And so prices, by force, are have to be made reasonable for those people. Um, and so yeah, it really can go a long way your money for sure but of course if you want to live a different like western lifestyle you totally can do that and you can end up spending like ten thousand dollars a month on on everything if you wanted to but you don't have to is the point yeah i think that's what one of the interesting things is like i feel over the last 10 years there's this market that's almost like if you want to ball out you can ball out in almost every country do you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. not this yeah. 1950s thing where even if you were to go ball out, you were still not spending that much money. Like you can always like blow a lot of cash wherever you are. In you the world. can. I mean, there, look, there's always going to be people with their hand, their hand out ready to take your, your money. The, the difference yeah. is, though, is that like what is balling out? Right. So like balling out in Africa is like you have uh, your own driver, you have your own like cleaning staff even you can have like a few people who clean your apartment your house for you um you have like a maid if you have kids you have someone who's like a live-in nanny who's taking yeah. care of your kids all day so it's just different levels because your your money does go further here yeah my um my friend jesse schoberg he uh recently kind of went viral because he did one of those um cnbc like make it articles i'm sure you've seen those before where they're like this yeah. american is living in blah blah, blah whatever and okay, he yeah. got some like 
he got some flack on the internet because he revealed that he, they were paying like $2,800 a month for an apartment in Bangkok. And everyone was like, you're getting ripped off. Like, yeah. you could spend that in the U.S., like all this kind of stuff. And his whole thing was like, yeah, I could spend that in the U.S., but here I get this amazing apartment. It gets cleaned every single day. We have like a exactly. cook, like it's all this stuff. And you're like, yes, like I could, you know, spend that in the U.S. and get an apartment, but for the same amount of money, I get so much here and I would rather so sort of like much. buy my, uh, like buy my conveniences in that way, which I, I totally understand. Um, yeah. before we kind of talk about your, your micro investments, because I'm very curious to learn more about how you've done that. I do want to ask you, um, like I said, I've become more interested in Africa as a continent and sort of understanding more about the dynamics. Obviously it's a, it's a massive continent with a lot of yeah. different countries that are very, very different, you know, from one another. What are some of the, you know, you're in Senegal, you've obviously chosen that for, for the reasons that you laid out. What are some of the other countries that you will recommend to listeners as a potential places to visit, obviously, as like the listeners of the show or digital nomads, remote workers, they want to go there, they want to like, maybe spend a month there, uh, you know, have reliable Wi-Fi, relative, you know, safe that sort of thing. Um, on the podcast, we had um, Matthew Grolnick a, a few episodes back, and he talked about like Kenya, and and we talked about uh, Rwanda, which I have heard really good things about. Um, would you agree with those two? And um, what other one? What other countries would you maybe add to that list of places that would be uh, interesting to explore? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I haven't personally been to Kenya yet. So I was supposed to go um, over the the summer. Um, but, but I wasn't able to do that for, for a variety of reasons. Um, but it's definitely on my list and I've heard great things about Kenya, but I can't personally speak to it. Um, now Rwanda, definitely. So I spent three months this summer in Rwanda and by far, this is the most developed country in Africa that I've been to. Um, and so the, the nickname is Africa for beginners. Um, for that reason, because it, it is very much so, uh, it's more similar. You'd be surprised. It's more similar to, to the West than you would think. And so like, if, if I blindfolded you and dropped you off in Kigali, um, you know, minus the fact that everyone's black, like you, you could, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know where you were. It's, it's that developed and that clean. I mean, it's the cleanest city in Africa, uh, Kigali. It's like impeccable. Like it's cleaner than where I, where I'm from back home, um, I'm from like the, I grew up more so like high school and university and stuff in the Raleigh area. And, you know, obviously that is like a RTP research triangle park, very modern, but I found Rwanda and Kigali to be even more modern in a lot of ways and definitely cleaner and safe. And so like, I never felt like I had to watch my, my pocket or uh, like there was something that was going to break out or it's just complete order, complete cleanliness and like super modern. I would describe the same way I've described like Hungary as like Eastern Europe for beginners. Like it's kind of like got okay. that, but you're not, you know what I mean? It's not, you're not throwing you into the, the fire of like Albania or Bosnia or something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That, that's the thing is like when people, I, it's like people ask me like, you know, I'm interested in Africa. Like I'm thinking about Nigeria or I'm thinking about the, the Congo and I'm like, you might want to you might want to consider like Rwanda. Senegal is like a nice place to start. Another big one is uh, Morocco. Morocco is interesting because North Africa, and so you you have it's like an interesting blend of like um, it's right there on the Mediterranean, like literally right across from Spain. So you have this unique like Mediterranean North African Sub-Saharan African mix, uh, like that is really unique and it makes it uh, feel like a, like a cool vibe that I've never experienced anywhere else. Plus you have a lot of international uh, expats from all over the world that just kind of come in and out of cities like Casablanca, Tangier, or uh, Rabat. So it's like an interesting melting pot in, in a few different ways. But I agree, like you, for some people you can do that. You can jump to Lagos, Nigeria, or uh, like uh, Kinshasa or something like that. But I think the, the average person and probably a lot of your listeners should should ease into it a little bit and, and start with places that are a little bit more like travel friendly. So this is a very uh, specific question. And if you don't have uh, knowledge, that's totally fine. But I think you're going to know more than a, like a majority of us uh, listening. 
what do you know about Zanzibar? And the reason why I'm asking this question is it's it's uh, two-sided. One, a lot of Bulgarians, which obviously I know uh, a lot about Bulgaria, have started investing in the island and building hotels and that kind of stuff. And, and then on the flip side, I've heard a lot about it from remote workers who are saying like, hey, there's actually like good infrastructure here. Uh, there's like co-working spaces popping up. There's like this this sort of infrastructure. What do you like? Would you agree with that? What are some of your sort of like? What have you heard? What do you know about like Zanzibar? Yeah, I've heard. Uh, so again, just full transparency, I have haven't been there yet. Um, but I spent most of my time here in West Africa, um, and like Rwanda was my first experience going east. Um, and so like it's on my list for 2023 to explore more. But um, I've met people who've been there, um, who've worked remotely from there, and I think that one of the nicknames this has is like uh, Maldives on a budget. So you do have like that island, uh, tropical feel. It's like very beautiful, very super clear, like uh, water, white sand beaches. Uh, it's actually an interesting honeymoon destination where a lot of people will go even from Africa to like spend their honeymoon. And so you have that vibe. And I think those places invite themselves to a lot of digital nomads who want to live island life for a while. Um, and so, of course, they're, they're going to build the infrastructure to be able to attract um, those type of, of tourists to, to come to the island to spend time and, of course, to spend their money. So I think it's an interesting option if, if we're talking about locations where uh, you want an off the beaten path kind of digital nomad setup. Um, Zanzibar would be one of those places. And other places is Cap Verde, which um, I'm going to be going to in April for my birthday, which is actually. Uh, an island that's uh, it's an African country off the coast of West Africa. So um, I want to say it's like maybe 100, 150 miles away from uh, Senegal. So it's super close. And it's like uh, this island that most people haven't really heard of in, in a lot of parts of the world, but it's supposed to be beautiful. So and uh, they definitely have some infrastructure there because I know Gonzalo Hall has one of his like nomad villages there. So they've definitely okay. like there's at least something like if he went over there and set something up, then they definitely have some infrastructure for that. And because totally. of that, I've also been very, very curious about that. Um, yeah. Let's kind of shift into I'm very curious to learn more about this micro investing side yep. of, of, of what you've been doing, because. When I kind of heard about what you're doing there, I was like, this is exactly what I would love to do at some point in my life. It's kind of like invest in these ways. So how did you, can you just kind of like give a little bit of background? And I know this is another very broad question, um, but how yeah. did you like start that up? Because when most people think about investing, right, they're like, okay, I need to have like lots and lots of money on the side in order to start doing that. But from what I know, it seems like you started that at a much smaller scale with far more like realistic funds for for a lot of us so can you kind of like explain how you did that and what and what the background of that was yeah that's a total understatement like i started with like a 100 bucks <laughs> uh, i think uh, <laughs> which is like i was i was in the north of senegal in this place called uh, saint louis and so the economically it's like like you can get a taxi anywhere in the city for like uh, a dollar um things are even cheaper than the car of course the car has a lot of expats who drive up prices um saint louis is definitely like more senegalese um and so you, you're dealing with much cheaper prices and your money goes even further so you know my original plan again was to go to nigeria and i i didn't come to saint louis with the with the mindset of like yeah i'm gonna come here and invest but uh, it actually was through helping this family so I was volunteering at a, at a nonprofit that was helping vulnerable women and children. And so there was this family from Central Africa Republic who, if anyone's familiar with the country, they've had um, a history of civil war and it's been very unstable in recent years. Um, and so they were uh, basically refugees living in Senegal. Um, and they were having like a lot of financial trouble. And so the, the leader of the family, which is uh, like the, the older sister, um, she came to me and was basically asking for my help. And look, uh, I believe in generosity for sure, but I knew like just giving money was not going to help this family over the long term, right? Like it, we've seen across the continent that mass giving doesn't work. It doesn't fix right. the problem. Short term um, And so, 
short-term solutions, right? You're just kind of like uh, pasting over the, the deeper issue. And so I really, I told her, I said, look, you know, I'm not going to give you any money, but well, I'm not just going to give you money and like without a plan. Uh, and so like, we need to sit down and think about like, how can you use whatever money I do give you to actually build something for your family so that you don't need my money anymore. And so that's how it really started. They were already uh, selling charcoal at the market. Um, so they would buy like small amounts and basically resell. So we're talking about like really small amounts, less than $5 worth. And then all in all, they might make like 25% on that. Um, and so I saw what they were doing. I was like, okay, so how much is like the whole bag, you know? Um, put some numbers in a spreadsheet, realize like, okay, if they can buy the whole bag instead of buying little by little, that 25% can go to like 50%. Okay, perfect. And that'll be enough to be able to cover their expenses for the month. And so this started me down this road. When I started looking at the numbers, I was like, this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> like actually there's this opportunity and it's not costing a lot of money, which at that point I was still traveling and I didn't have so much money to, to spend myself. And so that set me on the road to looking at like what I could do on a micro level to, to learn number one and eventually to scale up. That's so interesting. So what was like your first, so did you, did you like quote unquote invest in that opportunity with like the, the, the family to, to sell the charcoal? Yeah, I'm assuming so there was no that, like legal signing of documents and whatnot. On no, that. no, it's well, but I mean, even in a, even in, in a in a larger sense in this part of the world, there's still a lot of like handshake deals that go on just by nature of culture. Um, it's not really a contract culture. Um, of course, there are, especially when you get to a certain level. But there's a lot of loose agreements um, that kind of happen. So no, we didn't we didn't we didn't pull out like a term sheet or anything like that. But uh, we. <laughs> We definitely, I invested, yeah, I invested and, and we, that kind of set us down a road where uh, I started to ask the question, well, what else can we do, right? And so it went from charcoal to, to, to tomatoes. Um, we realized that like, if you can go out to a farm in the village, um, you can you can get tomatoes way cheaper than what they're selling in the market. And you bring that back to the market, you can sell it at higher prices um, from tomatoes to, to poultry farming, um, which, which is a little bit more sizable, but still we're talking about um, less than a thousand dollars, right? And so these are amounts that, when I was thinking about investing back in the U.S., um, these opportunities weren't available. It seemed like everything that was going to be a solid or good investment, quote unquote, would have taken at least five thousand dollars or more, um, which, depending on where you are in your career, uh, can be a lot of money. So, yeah, it really just snowballed into uh, trying out different things, a lot of failure. But when you're dealing on a micro level, failure is, is, is not that substantial, right? Like, okay, I lost $100, but what did I learn? And how much is that going to save me over the next five to 10 years? Mm. So what are like all of the, if you were to look at your investment portfolio at the moment, uh, I don't yep. know how many investments you've made like this, like how many of these micro investments you've made. Um, uh -huh. And if it's a lot of them, what are like your favorite ones or the ones that you're kind of like really focused in on right now? Yeah, great, great question. So, you know, to be clear, it's it's a little bit bigger now, <laughs> not really doing like $100 tomatoes anymore uh, or anything right. like that. So uh, we've, we've started um, a small transportation logistics business. We only have four vehicles. Uh, we're running one taxi, three cargo vans. Um, it's, it's making right around like $2,000 a month, um, which is what I consider to be like the passive. whole business I, in revenue or in, or in profit no, for you personally? No profit net, but I'm pouring everything back into, into the business. Um, but, but that's net. Right. Um, and so, you know, I don't like using the term, uh, passive income, but, right, right. uh, it, it's as close to that as, as you can kind of get it to be, I, I have someone managing the business. Um, I do help with strategy and obviously the primary investor, but it's running on autopilot. I was in Rwanda this summer and uh, I wasn't here for, before that I was in the US. So I wasn't here for almost six months uh, in the business. Uh, we, we added our fourth vehicle during that time and everything kept running right on, right on schedule. So um, I'm excited about the opportunity. I have a, a super aggressive goal um, for 2023 to take it from two to $10,000 which is where it gets really interesting. Um, but we'll see what happens. So that one is a little bit more capital intensive. Uh, you do have to 
buy the the vehicles uh, and those are obviously expensive we're talking about cargo vans that are running anywhere from eight to twelve thousand dollars a piece um so that's a little bit less micro but once we have the infrastructure in place and and we have the model and i think that's what's important it's a repeatable pattern that we can continue to do so that's one thing that i'm super excited about for next year uh but probably my biggest and most exciting project is uh strawberry farming and so we just purchased the rights to farm on a land that is about three hours away from from Dakar, and we are going to be starting uh, a strawberry farm because there is a serious lack of berries in general here in Senegal. They're really imported, but you have a lot of uh, foreigners who are used to eating berries at hotels, luxury resorts, and in the supermarkets. And so there's a serious need. Uh, and we're launching a strawberry project to help bring strawberries to this part of West Africa. So that by far has the most potential and it's the most exciting project for me. How are you finding these opportunities? Like, is it just like, hey, let me get in here and spot like the like where there's opportunity or like what have been like, how did you figure out, for example, the the strawberry farm i understand like kind of i can get the 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 point like the thought process of how that happened like how did you find or how did you spot the transportation opportunity yeah by by chance man i mean uh, god is good like it's just um number one this part of the world more than anywhere you really have to meet the right people and i say that because there are I don't, I don't want to make it seem like there's there's like more bad people in this part of the world, but I, I in my experience I found that um, because in a lot of places governments aren't as strong as what I've experienced in the U.S. or, or you know other parts of Europe and things like that, people are are more of their natural selves, <laughs> which um kind of we've seen throughout history right like whenever governments support things like great evils can be done and committed um but here in general like people tend to be more uh opportunistic uh, meaning that they will take advantage of of, of you and in, in situations if they can a part of that also has to do with like your like how are you how do i how do i put this like that's definitely true in Eastern Europe as well. And then like in Bulgaria, and I think it has a lot to do with like scarcity. Like, do you feel yeah. pressure of like, you know, when you're worried about X, Y, and Z financial situation, you're much more willing to kind of like cross the line on what you think is right. And so I think that there's like people who are like opportunists and they're looking at like, okay, well, I'm going to screw this person over because I, there's like, I have like scarcity. Right. Um, and I think that that's what concerns a lot of people with investing in, in those parts of the world because they're like is someone going to screw me over um yeah. and so on and so forth yeah not 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 only that i agree with the, the scarcity point um because it, it is more like for a lot of people it is more zero sum right it's like hey like you lose i win you know i am feeding my family right and so that's one point of it but then also like um what are the consequences for doing that right like if you go to the the police I mean, and it's just a handshake agreement, like what kind of justice are you going to get, right? Uh, and so if there's no threat or fear of authority in, in a lot of ways, then it's kind of like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go ahead and do, do this thing because it doesn't matter, right? So yeah, totally like if you, but if you meet the right people, um, it's, it's a really beautiful thing. Like I, I was really blessed to, to have a, a really close um, partner who's, who's now my co-founder here. Um, whose like moral compass is super strict and uh, also really intelligent, speaks the local language, speaks French, speaks English, a little bit of Spanish. And so like from finding the right person, it just makes it so much easier because you can better navigate those kind of murky waters where you're dealing with more shady people. Um, and so that's the first thing. And then I think it's just taking risk, right? Like you just have to like jump in and, and try things, which in this part of the world is a lot easier because the cost to, the cost of entry are lower um, and you can really kind of shoot from the hip a little bit more. You know, like the way the transportation business started was through fish. Uh, we, we originally bought our first like transport vehicle to move fish from the sea into like a more desert area. And long story short, that didn't necessarily work in the way we thought, but we had the vehicle. And so it was a natural like, hey, well, 
but why don't we try to use this to see if we can do transport around the capital? And that's how it started. And so the more risk you take, um, once you're here and you're in position, you start to find like actually the uh, ideas and opportunity will, will tend to come to you over time. So what do you, when you say transport, what are you transporting? Uh, well, so it, it, the, the model is interesting um, because we, we tried a couple of different things where, uh, for example, we were essentially renting the vehicle on the equivalent of like Craigslist um, where people would contact us and we would, we would just like rent them out at a daily rate. Um, and then we also tried more of a B2B approach where we were contacting like bakeries or electronic stores and trying to get them to do like long-term rentals where they're renting it for a number of months or on a, like a, a permanent basis. Uh, but the model that's worked the best is actually interesting because not only do are we able to earn, but we're giving, we're providing jobs too. So someone who lives in the capital and they don't have work or they're looking for work, we actually rent the vehicle to them um, and they go out to the port, they go out to different businesses, they go out to however they do it, their own marketing or their own like kind of sales plan to get clients. Um, and then they transport whatever those clients need transported. And then they pay us uh, on a weekly basis. And so they're able to make money from using our vehicles. And then we're able to make money from, from renting it out to them directly. And so, uh, what do we transport? Uh, whatever the, you know, whatever is the job for that day. Um, it is kind of a, a loose economy. It's not like formal employment. But it, it goes a long way to to helping people to have meaningful work. Hmm, that's interesting. So, have you thought about why not raise money in the U.S. from a few people and then bring that money and start like kind of having more leverage in in the things that you're doing uh, there? Yeah, um, but the it's a conversation that, that's ongoing. Um, I think. What's important for me is making sure that we have partners who are strategic, right? So there's no lack of money in the world. Yes, I could go out and and get money from from people I know or uh, even more professional investors who are looking to invest in this part of the world. But I think I'm looking for partners who want to do more than just write a check and, and forget about it, right? So I'm looking for people who understand this part of the world, are invested in this part of the world over the long term, and actually want to have a, a presence in this part of the world, potentially physically themselves, right? Not saying that they need to move here and, uh, you know, live live on the beach here in Sally where I am right now. But I do want people who are interested in the long-term success of the African continent. And so, like, I've had some people approach me as I start talking more on LinkedIn about strawberry farming. Hey, this is interesting. Um, I'm potentially interested in doing something like this. And I've I've, I'm open to that conversation, but one of my first questions is like, well, how invested are you in this region and what's happening here? Do you, how much do you know and how much are you willing to, to sacrifice in order to learn about what's happening here? So it, it's for me, it's not just about making money. It's about um, helping Africa to rise as a place in the world and evangelizing the fact that Africa is rising and it, it's it's going to be a world power over the next 50 to 100 years. Yeah, that's what I think it's so interesting because one of the really and I know that you have experience or ideas on this with your new business internally that I'd love to hear more about. But I think what's really interesting is is dynamic of Balaji had this great quote about how opportunity used to be reserved based on the latitude that you lived in. But now okay. there's a lot of opportunity being created longitudinally. Right. So if you think about yeah. like the United States relationship with Latin America, where now there's a huge rise in Latin American remote jobs because they're on a similar time zone. They're able to work for American companies and kind of help in that way. And I think Africa as a continent has a lot of the similar opportunity, at least to start with Europe, not just on the African continent, because you know, uh, a rising talent location, right? Lots of young people, uh, better and better education on the same time zone as Europe. And that's like a really great kickstart for that local economy. Uh, would you agree with that? Like, what are kind of like your views on that? Obviously, uh, let people know what you're doing internally, because I think there's a lot of sort of like synergy with that. Totally. No, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, you, you said everything I was going to say. I mean, time zone coverage, but I think what's what's most essential is talent, right? Like 
African, I call I call them knowledge workers because that that's what it is. African knowledge workers are some of the smartest, brightest, most educated, and most motivated people that I've ever had the, the opportunity to work and connect with, right? And I think hungry is is a very good adjective for it because there isn't the same opportunity, unfortunately. And so uh, I'll give a kind of a, a case study maybe. You'll have someone who finished uh, a master's program. Maybe they study biology. Uh, maybe they study law or uh, business. And they're on the side of the road selling fruit um, in Dakar and in different parts of the continent. Not because <clears throat> that's what they want, but there just isn't that layer of the economy at scale where everyone who went to university can can find a job right out of school. And so what are you going to do? I mean, you have to make money. Maybe you have a family um, that you started yourself, or obviously you have family members and you want to contribute. And that is the expectation now that you finish school. Um, I found that African culture is once you finish, um, now it's your opportunity to go out and work and help your family and help your brothers and sisters to also be successful. And so <clears throat> it's more of like a communal mindset. I don't know if you've experienced the same thing from um, uh, Eastern Europe, but that idea actually challenges people to get creative with the type of work that, that they do. And so there's not that layer. So when there is the opportunity to, to have more of a white collar job remotely, people are hungry for it and they value it and they're gonna perform. Um, but but the quality of work doesn't isn't compromised. I mean, there's native French and English speakers um, who grew up watching SpongeBob and whatever like the cartoons were, and like they speak, they understand all the social nuances and and, and cultural nuances that that I grew up knowing, right? And so it's it's really amazing, and I've been super impressed with the, with the level of talent that um, I've come across in my time here on the continent. I think like the correlation that I'm drawing with Eastern Europe that it's just like coming to mind right now is um, obviously I wasn't born when the Iron Curtain fell. That happened like, oh man, now I've put myself in like a weird place. 1989, <laughs> I think. And okay. so like I was born in 1993. But what was interesting was I heard stories of after that, a few years later, what ended up happening was like American companies started becoming very interested in Eastern Europe because exactly like how you're explaining, like very high quality of talent, very highly educated, but like don't have as much opportunity. And my dad has a story about, uh, my dad used to be a teacher. Uh, that's also maybe something else that like people are always like impressed with. Like my parents have had like so many different jobs because they were like, hey, we were trying to figure it out, right? Like there was like, we, there, there wasn't this like easy path for us. It was just kind of like try a bunch of different things. But uh, my dad was a teacher and he said he had a student who was always like a little like computer hackery, like kind of like a like a, a little nerd on, on that side of things. Okay. But supposedly yeah. he hacked something in the United States was just playing around. And instead of being arrested or whatever, he got a job offer from a U.S. company that was like, clearly you are doing something right. And he ended up moving nice. to the U.S. in like the early 90s. And so nice. I think there is a little bit of this of like, hey, now there's this opportunity that because of remote work, there's this entire new talent pool that is hungry for opportunities and, you know, it can kind of be like a win-win for both sides. And so I think that is very, very interesting on that front. So how did the Absolutely. idea for internally, can you tell people like what internally does and then how did the idea for that come around and, and where is it right now? Like what stage are you at at the moment? Uh Absolutely. So um, in, internally, is uh, this is really was birthed. I'll start by talking about like how the idea came about. Um, you know, like over this past summer, um, I, I was working with this uh, this London-based company. It's called Hago, social media startup. They do live streaming. Um, the long long story short is that uh, I was laid off um, from from that role in July. Um, it was 100% remote, um, but obviously we. St this was the beginning of what's happening now with the mass layoffs, right? So we see all the uh, all of big tech doing mass layoffs. I think Amazon was just today, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, etc. So we, I got caught in the early wave of that, um, but I had severance, right? So I had three months of severance, uh, and this was a, a great opportunity for myself to say, like, hey, you know, I've been working with early stage companies, I've been doing consulting, um, I've been contributing, like, I think. If there's ever going to be a time where I'm going to do my own thing, like this is a time. And so this really started me down this journey of like, 
what do I want to build and how can I make an impact here on the continent? And so my first idea was to help people to come to live, work and invest from in the African continent. Um, and I changed my LinkedIn headline to like, I help you work remotely from Africa. And when I did that, thinking that people from the West or the US, Europe would contact me being like, hey, I'm interested in remote work from here, digital nomads, right? But in reality, uh, what ended up happening was like my inbox was flooded from people from the continent looking for remote work. Um, and, you know, at first I kind of was like, no, that's that's not really the idea. But I started taking a lot of those calls um, and I realized a few things. I realized that I, I had the background and experience to help. It would be personally rewarding and fulfilling to do so. And I think that this actually is going to have a huge impact on the continent, right? So that really took me down the road to where I am now, where I've created a company called Internally, which essentially is a vehicle to help bring remote roles to the African continent by helping companies in the West. So we're talking about North America, EU, Asia Pacific, to outsource customer support and virtual assistance to the African continent, right? So instead of a company, let's say in California, hiring three support reps in San Francisco, which is like the most expensive place in the world to do that, they're able to outsource those roles to internally and they get done at the same level, if not better, for a fraction of the cost. And so that's what we're working on. Um, officially just launched this month, November, but like I said, it's been in the works since July. Um, and we're really working on, on outreach now. So trying to drum up sales and, and reach out to people who we feel like could be a potential fit for, for our solution. Very, and how, how was the reception from companies that, that you're pitching on this? Yeah, uh, it's, it's been positive. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because like, for example, and I think, you know, this from startups, right? Like what you initially start out with is not always the the end product right and so i come yeah, from you have a, a, a pretty... hypothesis you have to test <laughs> exactly you have to get out there and test it and like my hypothesis is like i come from a strong like b2b background and so my mind immediately goes to companies right i'm like yep let's let's get in touch with like uh small mid-sized businesses who are trying to scale to the next point um we'd be able to like save the money they can like hire two instead of one et cetera, et cetera. Like that's where my mind immediately went. But as I'm posting on LinkedIn, I'm actually getting inboxed by more like solopreneurs who are looking for like virtual assistance. Like I, I spoke with a, with a gentleman the other day who has a short-term rental business and is, you know, he's a busy guy. Like he has multiple businesses. He has three kids, a wife, and he doesn't want to be messaging Sally when she can't find the keys, when she shows up at the Airbnb, right? <laughs> so he's, he's looking for uh, virtual assistants, right, where, where they can step in and kind of manage his Airbnb business and the communications with that. So um, it's been positive. It's just opening my mind and kind of stretching me to, to think about what possible use cases there are for internally. But again, very early days. There's still a lot of work to do, um, and we need to have more conversations. Mm, I love that. I think that's such an exciting like path, and, and I think that there's so much opportunity, and you're, and you're so on the, on, the, on the money with that. Um, it, I want to say thank you, first of all, for, for coming on the podcast and, and sharing yeah. kind of your journey and what you've learned. I think it's so exciting. And like I said, I was just like, I was reading your LinkedIn post and I was like, way he's doing some very cool things that I want to talk with him. And, and so thank you for taking the time to be, to be on the podcast about that. Let people know where can they learn more about some of the things that you're working on? Like the, you know, if they're interested in, in, in the strawberry farm, like you said, that's something that's coming up. Where can people learn more about internally? And then where also, where can they connect with you if they'd like to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. So the easiest way is, is going to be through LinkedIn um, to, to keep up with me as, as far as contacting me, reaching out, um, updates on on the, my projects on the ground here in Senegal. Like I'm a big proponent of promoting, not even promoting, I, I, I more so want to say of sharing you, the work that you're doing and building in public. So internally, um, you know, the companies here on the ground, Strawberry Transportation and any new projects that are in the works, you're going to be able to keep up with me on, on LinkedIn. And that's the best, best place to contact me as well. So you can just uh, search me. My name is spelled W-E-H-Y-E-E. -E. Um, so if you just search me on LinkedIn, you should be able to find me. Um, otherwise, 
you can contact me through the internally website. So that's just the word internally.co. So internally.co. Um, yeah, that's we had to nice switch it up. There. <laughs> Do something a little different. Uh, but yeah, like the, those are the two best places where people can get in touch. Otherwise, on all social media, I'm at Weiba. So just Weiye, W-E-H-Y-E-E-B-A. So that's TikTok, Instagram, also YouTube. Perfect. I think I think internally .co is a strong that's a strong domain name. That's like a one word domain. Even though it's .co, that's still that's still great. Yeah, yeah that com is taken. Uh, but so I had to settle for for .co. But yeah, it's um I'm happy about it. So we're we're really excited for what's coming. Perfect, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This this has been a blast. Yeah, same, Miko, and uh, thank you again for having me, and best of luck to you, man. 